everyone, and welcome back to Ology's podcast, Training the Modern Workforce Live, a show discussing training and talent development solutions and best practices. Each episode, we'll talk about a different training topic, and make sure to keep an eye out for special guests and interviews from top training professionals. With me, as always, I have Colin Forward, CEO of Ology. Uh, for the last decade, Colin has provided major U.S. hospitals and federal agencies with distance learning solutions. Uh, he studied mobile technology at the University of Central Florida while earning a degree in computer science and his MBA. And joining Colin this week is Amber McAfee. With Exerco since its inception in 2010, Amber led the company's growth into tissue and surgical settings to redefine excision science. She, disports, she supports Exerco's community of healthcare professional customers who are advancing the healing power of skin to patients who need it the most. Uh, uncovering customer needs, problem solving, and providing solutions is nothing new to Amber, who started her career as a surgical, surgical technician and combat medic in the U.S. Army. After completing active duty, she remained in the reserves and found her home in the transplant industry at Lifeline of Ohio. Her second day on the job was the September 11th attacks on our nation, and Amber knew then saving lives would become her lifelong passion. Amber worked with a team of engineers that developed the Amalgatome MD for skin grafting procedures and tissue donation, which since 2010 has resulted in over half a million life-saving dermal allografts for burn survivors. Today, we're going to be talking about adapting to the new normal of just, um, I'm sorry, today we're going to be talking about uh, how uh, training can help introduce disruptive technology. Uh, we've got some great questions on deck already, but feel free to ask any questions that may come up in the chat and we'll get to as many as we can. All right, Colin, over to you. All right. Thanks, Adam. And uh, thanks, Amber, for joining us. Um, Thank you. We have, it looks like a pretty great audience already today. So um, for everyone in the audience, you know, uh, you're, you're welcome to submit questions through the chat. And we'll try and get to as many of those as possible. Um, but to get started, Amber, I mean, just your your bio that Adam was just sharing is is pretty fascinating. I mean, it, it's, it seems like a, a bit of a winding path. Can, um, can you uh, expand a little bit on how uh, you got to be where you are with Xerco. It sounds like, from what I know, you, you played a pretty big role in product development. I did, and if we had the whole afternoon, I'd love to tell you the entire story. Um, it's one that I love to tell, but it started with my military career and an army recruiter accidentally uh, called the wrong number and got me. And um, I'm like, well, what would happen if I served in the military? Because, you know, I cry when the Star Spangled Banners played. And long story short, I left for the military two weeks later and um, I absolutely loved it. I, I knew I wanted to be in the medical space. I didn't know exactly what surgery was going to be like at the time, but it sounded cool. It looked cool on TV. And um, then I found it was a niche that worked very well for me. And coming out of it, I tried to get a job at a hospital um, after my military service was over. And I found out about organ, eye, and tissue donation while I was a surge tech at that hospital. And interestingly enough, I had reached a point in my career where I was interested in the next step, the next adrenaline rush thing that I could do. And when I found out that when someone uh, dies and chooses to be a life-saving donor, there are individuals that have to go out there and recover those needed um, allograft tissues that save the lives of transplant patients or burn patients or trauma patients. And um, I found out that I could do the actual surgical procedure. And by doing that with the products that I'll get to being disruptive that my product competes with, I learned how to remove bones and skin tissue and blood vessels and heart valves, kind of like a surgeon would. And I didn't have to go to medical school to do it. So then I ended up going back to school and getting my degree. So I was able to combine my clinical or technical acumen, if you will, with 
the mindset of business. And when I finished my MBA, a recruiter um, said that there was this company kind of branching into new technology. They're in a totally different space than medical device, but they wanted to diversify and they saw their future. And I lived in the area and I seemed to be a custom fit. So I threw my hat in the ring and that is kind of what started Exerco. I got to this organization, I saw their instrumentation and I said, I know exactly what I think could be designed and we can take technology in a totally different space and move it into a new space and compete against something that hasn't been re-innovated or redesigned at the time for almost 70 years. And having used the product that was the gold standard to remove allograft skin from donors. Um, and although I'm not a surgeon, it's the same type of procedure that a doctor would do to take an autograft. Those devices hadn't been changed or re-innovated or made easier. And they were very fatiguing on the user, um, high risk of um, potentially recovering a piece of tissue incorrectly. And, um, high rate of needing repair or potential failure. So it seemed to be a marketable space where if we could design variables out of it to make it easier on the user and make it able to recover more needed skin for the use of burn and trauma and transplant, it was a win-win. And um, right after I was hired, there was a biomed, biomed engineer hired and then a whole team of medical device people to build our regulatory systems and so forth. And um, I'm proud to say that when the first product was launched in uh, 2013, we were able to um, compete against that disruptive technology um, and change what would have been an average of about two and a half square feet of life-saving skin being used per donor to four and a half to five square feet. So that was more lives saved, more use of the gift of donation from a single donor. And then as Exerco grew, we took that to the burn space for live patients. And then that's when we had to continue to develop uh, the tools and the kit for our team to be able to reach the clinicians albeit, you know, transplant, uh, allograft for the use of transplant or um, wound covering to a burn surgeon treating a patient. And how do I get my information out there um, either with a person on site or innovative training um, methodologies like a mobile training app that you can use right in the field. So that's, so, so that's the... Yeah. yeah, before we get to the mobile training app, I, I yeah. want to just make sure I, I really understand this because we're, we're we're not talking about incremental change, really. I mean, you're talking about getting two, two and a half times the, the you know, the yeah. product. Yes. And so some of my dear friends, I can see their names on this call, were some of my early adopters. And um, I really owe it to them to think outside the box. And when I approached the tissue banks and said, hey, you know, remember me, I used to just do recovery, but now I have this product and I think that your team could use it and recover more life-saving graphs and it's going to help the entire industry. And um, there were about four original key tissue banks who said, you know what, it is time to maybe set something down that is 70, 50, whatever years old and try something new. And they adapted to it quickly and saw a return on their investment to do so, both um, financially, but most importantly, saving patients. So uh, you're saying that 
it was about 70 years before big changes happened in this space. Um, why do you think it took so long? What, what made it so that, uh, you know, either people were just satisfied with the technology they had or that it was difficult to introduce new tech? Yeah, so I mean, to be fair, there were product changes, but it would be mostly motor enhancement or potentially, you know, modifying a product because of a safety concern. There was not a change in the mechanism of action, and that's where we came in. Our product was a different mechanism of action to make a skin graft be recoverable. And um, I believe that it hadn't changed with the other manufacturers in that space because it wasn't a sexy call point, if you will. Trauma is kind of tough to, to be around and tough to work in. And um, in the medical device space, if you have an, you know, something that makes a total hip or a total knee go better, that is the, a bigger market to go after. And, you know, with the education in our industry about, you know, stopping house fires and cooking fires and things, there aren't a high enough number of burns for a manufacturer to go, we should create a product in that space. It is a small number. So it took the right organization to be ready to say, even though it's niche, it, there is a need and let's do it. Cause maybe it'll open other windows in other surgical spaces. And we were willing to do that. Okay. So I, I think you've set up the, the situation really well. And you know, the, this show is all about training, behavior change, improved performance, that kind of thing. So Let's talk about some of the challenges that you face in getting adoption. Um, you know, what is yeah. it, what, what kind of, uh, of hurdles did you come up against when trying to get people to adopt this technology that could have a, to make a real difference? Yeah, and I can tell you that the two markets that we serve, which would be one being tissue banking and the other one we call the surgical market, um, it was almost their parallel in terms of the adoption. And typically uh, a representative from our organization would either meet a new potential uh, tissue bank or burn trauma center at a trade show or through industry connections or through marketing and advertising. And a lot of the very first adopters want to trial the product for a period of time and allow it to prove itself. Why should I make this purchase? Why should I make this change when what we had before is, you know, this is the way we've always done it. This is the, this is the way we were trained. This is the gold standard. And even in the surgical space, this is the way the medical school trains us. So now you're introducing a whole new mechanism of action that wasn't what I learned in medical school. And so that is a big barrier to get around. And in fact, after so many evaluations, um, we then started to get invited to the new fellows or new interns labs or training sessions to say, okay, that other device might be there, but we need you to learn this too. And we were very happy to go and present because if- sure. If you find those new users that aren't going to learn the gold standard, and I want to be the gold standard, right? I want the amalgatome to do that. So um, that, that was probably the biggest thing is that early adopters want to trial it. So you have to create an, uh, you know, you put out an investment of your time and your products being at the hospitals being used without knowing at the end of this, are they going to become a user? And so, go ahead. Yeah. So what I think is so interesting about this 
sort of case study around Exerco and adoption and, and, you know, introducing this disruptive technology is, well, I mean, you, you're, you're, you have a sales and marketing title, right? Yes. Yeah. And so we've been having this conversation internally at, at Ology. And I guess I, I forgot to disclose at the beginning of the call, but Exerco is an Ology customer. So everyone should be aware. Um, but uh, normally, I think people think of training as an HR function and as, as something that is there to check a box or satisfy compliance or something like that. But um, more and more, we're seeing that people are understanding that training is getting directly to the, the output of these different business functions. And for you in, in sales and marketing, it was really a matter of helping people understand the value proposition, training them on this value proposition. Is, is that accurate? Absolutely. Um, absolutely. Training is important in a even just when they're trialing the device. So there's training in the, the initial introduction, and then there's training sustaining all along the way. New users come to work at this organization and they need to be trained. And honestly, if you, if you want a, what I call confident and competent user of your whatever it is, that reach and frequency, I'm going to quote my boss, that reach and frequency has to be consistent. And it can be in person in other ways, which we're going to get to on this podcast. But without that, you may have a, a someone not confident and feeling they're competent using it and that where they can potentially get in trouble, right? So um, that was a very important and is, is, is going to continue to be very important for Exerco in, um, in both spaces. So I, I, it sounds, I think, probably pretty intuitive for most people listening that um, someone adopts a new, or someone needs to know that a product is valuable. So marketing in that sense is kind of training, it's education, and they, they understand the value proposition. And then they adopt the product and then they have to learn how to use it, right? Yeah. Um, but in this space, it sounds like there's some untraining that goes on around, you know, the way that things have always been done and how that's different from how you're helping people improve their performance. Right. And this happened, um, like I say, in both our market spaces, um, we were up against seasoned professionals who use these devices, the, you know, the entrenched technology that was almost unaware to the user that they became so good at doing so. And then because our mechanism of action is so different, it was almost like I need to almost untrain you because you're inadvertently with muscle memory and, and the way you've done it for so many years, just about to use my device incorrectly because it's almost opposite. So it's interesting because you'll watch at an organization where you have the seasoned people watching your presentation or training and you have the new person and the new person who didn't know how to use the other product just does it perfectly. And it's almost intuitive. And the seasoned people are like, wait, I've been doing this for eight years. How are they better at this than me? And you have to explain it's because you're inadvertently so used to or aware of how to do that. And in the tissue bank space, everyone's like, you're right, you're right, you're right. In the surgical space, it can be a bit different because they're, they're medical professionals, they're MDs, and they're going, wait a minute, I should 
I should, I'm the engineer of the human body. I should be able to figure this out. And you could see them processing like, wait, how do I go from a straight oscillating blade that recovers a piece of skin to save, you know, this patient's burned or traumatized area to a round blade on an orbit doing that. And you just see, and sometimes you have to stop talking and even just let them process it um, and get through it. But it is a huge barrier. I'm happy to say that, um, I should say it was a huge barrier because it's actually working in our favor now. Um, professionals talk, we've been in the space for a while. We have these other training methodologies that we're, we're seeing that a bit less and less. So that's a good thing. Well, we should see it because we're about four years into this. So we've yeah. been able to see that untrained wean off a little bit. Um, so I, I think I think that starts to make it clear just what kind of uh, training challenges you're up against. I mean, sure, the tabula rasa folks have a a, a bit of a um, uh, an advantage. You know, they don't have to un unlearn uh, all of these things. Um, but uh, you that means that you have multiple audiences in a, in a way. Like you have different people that you need to communicate with in different ways. Um, you have all of these old habits that you're trying to get past. You have the um, just just the initial training so that people understand the value proposition. Um, and we haven't even talked about you know the the pandemic and the fact that you're not able to be face to face with people as as much as you have been in the past. So, what have you found that works? What is it that's really helping you have the success that you found recently? And I'm going to speak to a little bit of um, a reorganization that Exerco did. We at one point had our representatives be the business hat as well as the teaching hat. And we decided to create a team of people who aren't focused on gaining the business, but they're focused on becoming, uh, being at the, at the customer enough to create confidence and competency in the product. So they became our applications specialists and they have backgrounds um, in the recovery of allograft tissue. And we found that to be a successful um, step in the process. Then we had to give them the toolkits to do their job and how can they visually explain it um, audibly explain it and then actually, you know, see one, do one with the users. And so with things like a training app, or even if you just have a video, if it's not even in an app yet, um, if you could send that out prior to even meeting the individual that you're going to train, Hey, when we get together in two weeks, this is what I'm going to teach you. Watch this process it think about things that we're going to talk about or that you, you know, you want to ask me. And then when we're present, this hands-on training is going to be that much more meaningful because we got past those first, well, wait, how does that not work? Like I'm used to, you know? Um, so we found that to be very helpful. And honestly, we're still rolling out uh, the LMS system and the, and the mobile training app. It's um, it was, it's a product in and of itself, and it went out this year. And um, what we're doing is a little bit of get it out there social, but also be present and walk our users through it and say, hey, you have this resource to you and let me show you how to pull it up in the operating room, you know, in real time when you need it. Yeah, so you just went through a, a bunch of really key pedagogical concepts that I think um, are, are maybe not 
obvious to some people who may even be doing them well. So, you know, it sounds like you've introduced experts into the communication cycle, the, the customer support cycle. You've equipped those experts with the tools that they need to support this audience kind of on demand. And you flip the classroom. So, you know, you might be doing these in-person trainings, but you're um, preparing people with information beforehand. So you're able to get more out of those face-to-face sessions. And then you're providing some of that ramp down so that you're kind of crystallizing the knowledge and able to see how people access all those things, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I even have an example of it. Literally an hour and a half ago, a trauma center was asking me to FaceTime to help put the product together. It was a brand new scrub technician with this particular burn surgeon. And I sent the mobile training app. And when I called, they said, "Never mind. we just watched that. And we we don't need to FaceTime now, we got it. So I was like, yay, Mark Avery's gonna love hearing that one. So. uh, (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome, yeah. Yeah, so it's- That's really great to hear. It's almost an example of it working daily for us. So, um, that's some, that's some awesome validation. Uh, what, what made you realize that that was the type of tool that you needed to support your customers? I think we had done a lot of putting content out there in multiple ways. Okay. So we had it on our webpage and our videos were housed on YouTube. So a user would want to look at a video and maybe they're in an operating room and they click it. And there's a chance that they don't even get to the link that they intended, or they're in the center of the hospital and it's buffering and they're like, wow, this resource is available to me and I can't get it. Where's the user guide? Do I have the printed, the printed version off of it in my, in my operating room? Uh, what's the rep's phone number? Cause I might need to FaceTime and they would have to, the user would have to be, how do I get that information? And sometimes I need it in real time. And it was all over and we needed it in one place easy to find and relevant to the hat that they're wearing? Is it the scrub tech who's looking at it? Is it the clinician who's about to take a graft who wants to review a video of how to take a graft? Is it the person who cleans and sterilizes the device who's thinking, I know I sat through that training session, but what did she say? And I can go now and look back at how to do that. So for us, it was housing it in one place. We We had a lot to develop once we were gonna put it in one place, but we had a lot out there that was a bit willy-nilly, if you will. Uh, and, and we needed to make it easier for the users to get to it. We, w- we didn't wanna be the organization that was like, the product's great, but the support is, you know, needs a little polishing. And we wanted to be ahead of that. So it sounds like it's going pretty well on that front. Uh, I mean, aside from uh, just having, um, a, a lower, uh, lower burden for support, like this, this anecdote you just shared where, um, they were able to access on-demand content, just in time training, as we like to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and that meant that they didn't need as much support. Um, what other kind of impacts are you seeing from having this, uh, uh, you know, branded centralized on-demand training resource? Because this is our first year, I see as, you know, each year passes, I see that we'll be able to uh, potentially almost manufacturer certify users if they're, you know, quizzes launched and, you know, feedback where they, uh, like a true LMS where they watch everything and then answer back and we can confirm the information is, you know, solid to the user. 
Um, the other thing is I think it'll drive compliance and we can look at things like say, for example, a reportable event were to happen and they say we were never trained, for example. And I go into my system and I say, well, you know, you were trained on X date and on that specific topic. And here's your certificate saying that you, you know, that you did so. And so as a medical device company, I think having those great records to back us, if an event were to ever happen in a negative fashion, that um, we can almost by offering this, make that not have to happen because we don't want reportable events. Patient safety is always first. So um, I think that is another complete benefit of offering these types of training scenarios. Yes. And so it, it seems like uh, you and your team did a, a great job of seeing the opportunity here and, and understanding how you might be able to better support your customers. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I know that uh, you and uh, Mark, who's, who's listening in, um, put a ton of work into building, like you said, this product on, on our capillary platform that um, is, is going out and providing value for you now. But um, was there, were there questions along the way or, or was there any skepticism that you ran into about the level of effort required to get to this point? Um, you know, I, I, I talk to people all the time that say things kind of like you were, you were talking about before where, um, well, we have all of our resources on our website. Uh, so, you know, why do we need anything else where people can go to YouTube and find this information? Why do we need anything else? Um, I don't know that I particularly hit a barrier. I think, um, maybe if I were to kind of answer that question in another way, it was worth housing it all in the same place. And because it's in the form of an app, folks can just keep certain things in their own library that then is most relevant to them and they can get to when they need it. Um, we put it through our, our internal process to make sure that, you know, what is on the web, what is in the app, what is in the user guide and our policies all line up with each other. So if there was one hurdle, it was to make sure that every I was dotted and T was crossed to make sure that it's all consistent. And when there's a change, how does that flow forward and backward? So that the end users are always getting um, the most current information. That'd be the and only thing I'd say. Yeah, sure. And I mean, um, the, the the runway for uh, for you guys has been something like three or or four months to get started, I guess, which mm -hmm. I got to say, that's I mean, for, for the, the the level of training you're providing, that's that's pretty great. Um, do you uh, do you feel like that investment is, um, you know, is it, is it like an instant return? Is it something that you're ramping up to with your uh, your customers? You know, I know it's it's been sort of like a phase rollout. So I'm wondering if people just to set expectations for someone that's thinking about embarking on the same journey that you've gone on, yeah. when do you start to see the return? Um, and so because I can see that I have folks joining from the my different markets that I serve, I can tell you that my tissue bank folks are probably wondering, you know, when do I get the rest of the content in the app? And we did a phase rollout. So the tissue bank personnel are going to see that in the next probably month come live for them. Um, so I think we're going to see the return on all this learning happen um, probably by mid next year. Once both market segments are live, um, we 
we're always open to even the end users telling us, you know what else you need in the app? And then we start to put that content in there too. And I think if you got a year, if we'll have the year under our belt, we've gotten enough of that voice of customer back. Hey, I find that this one thing might have been missed. Can you please add that? And we're going to work on that. So I, I think mid next year is when I'm going to see um, a big bump in the using of it, as well as I need to reach people in Europe and Australia. And so this is another way that I can do business from the United States and reach reach my users there. Yeah, I mean, do you, do you feel like um, making this investment has changed the requirements on your organization for the, the amount of staff, the amount of investment that they would have to make to support those customers and Europe, Australia, abroad? It, it actually happened a little bit in, in parallel and probably just unbeknownst because a lot of travel for my team kind of came to a bit of a halt, uh, obviously, with the pandemic. So I did see some cost offset um, because the travel um, declined. However, it still gave my folks an opportunity to be relevant and provide value with each time they reached out to their customers. And well, so I guess the uh, surprise it took us this long to really start addressing the pandemic directly. It's kind of the elephant in the room, right? Yeah. Um, but one of the things that uh, we, we talked about on our last podcast episode with uh, Sabina Love, who is a um, instructional designer who consults organizations that are looking to stand up uh, products like this is a lot of people think that, um, you know, the pandemic is winding down. And I mean, it, at least in the US, there are places where they're having trouble getting vaccines, but even still, I mean, are you expecting to go back to the old way of doing things? Is, is, are we, is this a new normal or is this something that you feel like would have added value with or without the pandemic? I mean, honestly, I think it's adding value uh, given that the pandemic happened. I think it, I would be at a little bit behind if I didn't have this to provide because of the pandemic. And the reason for that is um, it, either in the hospital or in a tissue bank, they are limiting the number of people in an operating room. You know, um, they're realizing that you can have you can still get business done on a Zoom call and not have to fly there. And it might make the more face-to-face -face interactions that much more meaningful because I think not even in just my space, our space, all of us on this call, the way we're doing business has changed. And um, I think in the spaces that Exerco works in, it, if we didn't have this, we might've been maybe slightly scrambling what else can we put out there? We can't go meet them. We can't go train in person right now. Um, we got to get vaccinated or whatever your belief is on that. How are you going to get out there? And, and, then, and then we thought it was over in the variants happening again so, or, or coming to fruition. So right. I think, I think Exerco, um, it was serendipitous. I mean, though, there are people who would tell you I'm a pretty lucky person. And I think that this all just, it, it, it was like the perfect storm and the perfect outcome uh, for us to have this resource available at the right time. Oh, I, I, I'd have to give you more credit than that. It sounds like you understood the needs of your customers pretty, pretty well from, well, from the too. outset. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, your, your, your answer mirrors something that uh, Andrea Procaccino, the chief learning officer for New York Presbyterian told us as well, which is that 
having those tools in place is what allowed them to be an example for how to support their staff and their patients at the, you know, I mean, they, yeah. they were in the middle of it in March, April of 2020 before other people were even necessarily feeling the effect. And it's just like you said, you know, making those investments in uh, distributed training and having trusted outlets for folks to, so that you can, I, I think you is the one that said, so you can be there when you can't be there. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that's, uh, that gave you a bit of a head start. It did. It did. Absolutely. So, um, where do you think, uh, where do you, where do you see this going from here? You know, you've, uh, you've introduced this disruptive technology. You're working now on untraining, um, some of the folks that, uh, were just so used to the way that they were doing things. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sounds like it's having a real impact for uh, your business processes, reduced support requirements, uh, higher um, customer satisfaction. Um, do you see uh, you know, efforts in the future to um, say, introduce new products, new services, or um, to, to you know, um, make additional use of the the platform that you have in place now that you've got that channel to your customers? Absolutely. I think uh, Exerco is very invested in providing uh, complementary products in both the markets that we work in. And each introduction of a new product will have its place in the app and have its LMS written around it for our users. Um, and, you know, what's in the future? I don't believe will be the same as disruptive because now we have a footprint and now Exerco isn't an unknown brand. And um, in fact, we get asked a lot about, hey, do you have a you know, X device because I'm interested in it. And um, I think in the future when we have things like that, it's gonna be part of, it's gonna be a part of this. It's gonna be the same customer support training um, and you know what? Even if it isn't as technically difficult, they're going to get the same level of support. So, and I, I kind of want to shift around to the, the customer perspective for a second, because um, you mentioned compliance. And I, I'm wondering if, uh, you know, if these customers see it as, um, uh, like, what's the ROI to them of, uh, adopting this new tool that comes with your product. Do, do you think that they're um, expecting better patient outcomes, um, uh, you know, better adoption of the tools that, th- that their organizations are investing in? Uh, how, how do you think they see the value of that? Wow. Um, I could give you a ton of different examples. Um, and I'll start with the tissue banks. When using the amalgatome, it's a, an immediate, um, wow, I can tell just by the amount of skin that I'm about to send to a, the skin bank processor um, that this is going to save more lives. And, and, and by the way, that procedure was a lot easier because it didn't take an hour and a half of a lot of fatiguing pressure and pushing and I'm not sweating at the end of the procedure and all this and that. And so that was immediate in that in that space. And then if I were to flip to the surgical space, um, what was what our users say is, and we literally, I think one of my staff came to us with a story that the doctor called on their way home and was like, I'm actually going to home to have dinner with my family because I used your product 
I still would have been in the, in the OR for like two more hours and I'm getting to have dinner with my family. And that was just them just off time savings in the OR. Um, I have another scenario where a doctor um, over a weekend took our product and a, and a, a, a traumatically injured patient to the operating room. And I texted a few hours later just to check in and see. And the words back to me were, uh, we saved, you know, 500 cc's of blood, uh, one less trip to the OR, and I was able to get this person grafted in one trip, not two trips to the operating room. So you, without even going into financial, you can imagine what that means to that patient. Now, less time in the hospital and to go home and recover uh, without that second procedure and recover that much faster. I mean, yeah, that's, that's, that's a, a huge impact. star of a story. Yeah, absolutely. That's incredible. Well, you know, I, I think um, given that a lot of the folks listening and uh, and and um, people that see this after uh, after the live recording may want to get a look at it, get it, understand what it is that you've um, done uh, to to support your customers in this way and get this kind of impact. So uh, the app is available on the app stores, right? Yes. And yes. um, so, so if someone searches for Xcirco on uh, the App Store and Google Play, they'll find the app? Absolutely, yes. Okay, cool. And then, um, you know, I, I think I, not all of the content that we're, we're talking about having that impact is available to the public, but people can get a sense of, you know, the on-demand, just-in-time sort of resources that, that are available. Yeah, absolutely. Some of my colleagues uh, whose names I recognize, I will uh, have more things live in, uh, in the next probably month, and um, they're going to get to see the benefit of what we've been talking about today, so... Great. Well, yeah, I mean, I appreciate you uh, sharing some of those stories because I mean, that that really brings into focus the kind of impact that just better training and better preparedness can have, um, especially through this lens of, of marketing and customer support. So um, can't thank you enough for taking the time today to uh, to, to share your experience and, and the impact that um, doing some thoughtful training investments have, have had for your organization. So thanks thank for sharing you. that with us. Thank you. And um, thanks, everyone. Oh, sorry, did you have more, Colin? Go back to you, Adam. All right. <laughs> this is a Train of the Modern Workforce Live, guys, presented by Ology. Uh, if you'd like to explore previous episodes, subscribe to our Ology YouTube channel or like us on LinkedIn and Facebook. And if you'd like to connect with one of our learning specialists to see how Ology can help improve your training, head to ology.com and schedule a demo or drop us a note. All right. See you all next time.